This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Friday. Welcome to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us on this January 20th. John Hicks riding shotgun today, and it's official, John. Uh, we will no longer be uh, wishing anybody a happy new year after real talkers have spoken. <laughs> we ran this unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll. Uh, it just wrapped up a few moments ago, and uh, with the 927 of you that chimed in on here, 68%, 7 out of 10 have let us know it's time to move on. All right. It's time to stop wishing people a happy new year. So we shall blaze forward into 2023. Three weeks in, optimistic that this is going to be an unbelievable year uh, with regards to the conversations we're going to have on this show and the progress that we're going to make in making sense of issues. Trash Talk's coming up a little bit later on today, and and there's some great topical political commentary in there these are real emails sent in to talk at ryanjesperson.com our real talk roundtable farming and food on the heels of our conversation with the food professor sylvain charlebois earlier this week one of our panelists reached out to me and he was a little unhappy with what he heard from the food (laughs) professor and so we're going to have some clap back here it's going to be a great uh we've got a we've got a grain farmer we've got a dairy farmer and we've got a a journalist uh from canada's national observer uh mark fawcett atkinson who's going to join us as well he writes about food trends he writes about what's happening in agriculture and what's happening in the food scene across the country this is stuff everybody cares about for obvious reasons i can't wait to see the three of them i'm going to wish them all a happy new year Yeah, you're going to wish them all a happy new year (laughs) behind the scenes which is perfect and then of course sapria devetti you know joined us every Friday and we're really looking forward to this is, is Sapria in the bullpen right now she's ready not here to go? yet she's not here yet okay so we've got a couple of things to get to mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious to ask her about the Ivan Provorov situation in Philadelphia oh, because I, I know that this I, I don't want this to be beating a dead horse but I do think that there have been developments in the story have Philadelphia to. coach have John Tortorella made comments uh, just yesterday I think it was sort of in follow-up I know that you've been rolling your eyes so hard you look like you're going to get a migraine well just uh, and man I've always kind of liked torts because he's that old school sure. grumpy uh grandpa next door kind of guy but would like, you like to play for him <laughs> probably not <laughs> but like sometimes like especially with this i don't think he needed to double down on this and some of his comments yesterday saying he respected his decision i'm just wondering if you omit like pride night and put in like a night to honor the black community or indigenous culture if he would be saying these things so we'll look at the video and you yeah. guys decide sure i i will say this i mean i i put out what i, I knew would be probably a tweet that would get a little bit of attention but but not like it has in the sense I said I said I think the Flyers should have benched him I think he should have sat in the press box that game and the replies are filthy they're nasty like I got to the point I very rarely do this I actually you know you can mute the yeah. conversation on your own tweet I was like I'm done receiving notifications on this I'm just gonna move on because it's just it, it really is uh, I appreciate some of the thoughtful notes that we've got from people on things like religious freedoms on things like you know yeah. people talk about acceptance has to be a two-way street and and this that and the other but uh, and religious freedom is all good but another thing I saw last night I got a notification I opened up my Twitter at about 1 a.m. and a certain sportscaster said the Philadelphia Flyers website now sold out of Ivan Pro Proverov jerseys. <laughs> Proverov jerseys. Uh, you can't get anything but like uh, extra small and a small now. So this go. just shows you like uh, people are divided. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Still. Yeah. People still, are divided. In 2023. Yeah. This is still. I can't believe it. 
Well, uh, yeah, I can believe it, and uh, and it's it's interesting. I think when we have an opportunity like this, that the story is about more than Ivan Provorov. The story is about more than hockey. The yeah. story is is about our our conversation about you know beliefs that people hold, and and uh, you know, I mean, I, I think even just the angles of looking this as you know, it's a, it was a team initiative. It's a league wide initiative. What does it mean to be a team player? I mean, you can you can you can explore this from a number of, of different angles, and uh, and I'm looking forward to talking. Talking to Sapri about that. Plus, our pal Mo Amir was on yesterday. If you missed it, the host of This Is Van Color on Check. Just a, a love Mo's take on things. He's like just buddy good mood. Hey, he's just he just rolls <laughs> in with a big smile on his face. He kind of reminded me a little bit of Sean Canungo who came in on our last show of 2022. But Mo tweeting, and, and I wanted to ask you about this as well. A lot of people have been ripping Jagmeet Singh. Jagmeet Singh's yeah. watch. His watch comes up every once in a while. People talk about it. Well, Mo's pointed out on a tweet today Wasn't wearing with it. so much focus on what Jack Meat wears on his wrist. Here's Prime Minister Trudeau's watch. It's it's called an IWC. It's a Portuguese regulature. And uh, the retail price is about 15K. Mm. And so he has a picture there of the PM rocking that watch. And he's got a nice close-up. It's a nice watch. It's a nice timepiece. Yeah. Uh, does something like that rub you the wrong way? A politician? Well, In particular, does Jack Meat sing? Is, is there an unfair standard for him where he's talking about uh, the middle class and, and the people that want to join the middle class? That's actually more of a Trudeauism. But, yeah. But Jagmeet Singh, people look to the NDP as those mm-hmm. that will advocate for the more marginalized, that will advocate for more equality, that will look to bring in things like a wealth tax, that would look to get a pharmacare bill passed. Mm-hmm. We'll talk to Sabri about that. Is the message lost if the person delivering the message is wearing a watch that's worth ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars? It is a bit. And Yagmeet's a little bit polarizing for me. I agree with him on some things vehemently disagree on other things but i noticed he put out a tweet yesterday talking about inflation and uh the watch is now gone so obviously (laughs) some pr people got inside him i also just want to mention this r.i.p uh just this morning david crosby crosby yeah Yeah. passing away at the age of 81 Uh, david crosby and jeff back in the same week yeah it's right crazy that's uh yeah two guitar greats Mm -hmm. have have passed uh crosby stills nash and let's not forget neil young that rocked out with them for a little bit that's a can you imagine being on the road with those guys back in the day? Amazing. I always YouTube their live concerts and shows. They're absolutely incredible. So yeah. RIP there. I love it. Um, we've got an email here. It, it, it doesn't. It's from Jerry, and it doesn't qualify as a trash talk. And so I wanted to get it in on the show before we talk to Sapria. She's coming up in just a second. Um, Jerry wrote in and just said, basically, when we start things with, you know, quote, we have a complex relationship that should immediately prompt us to pause and reflect and accept that whatever this thing is, it's going to require some nuance. He says, like my or anyone's relationship with health. He says, I love that your conversation uh, with Ashley earlier this week, Ashley Wanamaker, the registered psychologist, he said, and Johnny jumping in there, drove home the holistic approach to our, our health and, and how it has to include work health and emotional health and, and physical health and relationship. It's all one thing, he says. But over the last week-ish of the show, some of the conversations, he says, with absolute legend regulars like Supriya and Charles, he says a lot of the conversations have circled around George. Jordan Peterson, polarization, politics, Russia's war, professional accountability. He says it may be obvious to some that these things are all related, but but something hit me like an aha moment the other day, says Jerry. It says we're living in a fascinating time, and, and sometimes that's not the best, it seems, for humanity. But it, it can expose weakness in, in various ways. The theme of the last few years of civilization seems to be 
polarization, which has given way to more mainstream extremism. He says Adler's highlighted this on the show, right, as, as extremism operating on either end of the political spectrum. It's wild to watch it play out. He says we have autocracies and oligarchs and dictators. You know, they, they hold people hostage, keep them uninformed. They stifle the free press. They use fear and violence as tools on civilians. But here's the key difference in these last few years. The extremism seen in democratic countries has allowed that fear to turn to violence. He says, just look under the United States, under the guise of so-called free speech. Powerful people are inciting violence against others, even starting a coup, he says. And then there's the College of Psychologists in Ontario versus Jordan Peterson. He says this, this whole sort of sticks and stones adage has, has never been true. He says words have always hurt people. I understand why we need free speech, the ability to criticize those in power, you know, combined with decentralized governance, regional autonomy, holding individual freedoms in place. But how do we walk a fine line and who does it best in a democracy? He takes a look. He says, we know it's not the United States. He says, Canada's own history, many layers there. It'd be great to outline or continue this discussion of extremism in democracies to continue with more expert voices examining where this range of free speech and personal freedom operates best, where it provides the most opportunity, but also creates a stable foundation for the most vulnerable. Jerry, I love it. And that's to us an encouragement that we keep our focus, that we continue to develop and pursue these storylines. And we really appreciate when Real Talkers take a second to share their thoughts with the show. Why don't we fire that clip of John Tortorella? I want to ask Sapria where she's sitting on this story with, with Ivan Provorov opting out of warmups on the Flyers Pride Night. The coach was asked about it again yesterday. And, and here's what he had to say as i said provi did nothing wrong just because you don't agree with his decision doesn't mean he did anything wrong he felt strongly with his beliefs and uh he stayed with it and 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 this was discussed uh, as we as prior up to you asked me if i was going to bench him why would i bench him because of a decision he's making on his beliefs and religion he just felt he didn't want to take warm up i respect him for his decision I thought the team handled themselves well. I thought our whole organization handled themselves well. To this day, I still feel the same way about that flag. Uh, it's, I, I, it, you shouldn't be protesting when the anthem's played and you're in front of that flag. That's about the men and women that are sacrificing their lives to give us our freedoms. That's what I look at. Provi knew he was going to have some blowback here. That's, that's part of the business. That's part of what you go through. But I respect him as far as uh, staying true to himself, I said, as I said the other night. And I respect the organization, how they handle themselves here, because they went about their business, and I thought it was a great night. That's John Tortorella, coach of the Philadelphia Flyers, as we welcome in our Friday regular, Sapria Devetti, uh, of course, a wonderful friend of the show and co-host of the wildly popular Seriously podcast. Check it out at seriouslypod.com. Where, where do you stand? Do you have a strong opinion on the Ivan Provorov Philadelphia Flyers debacle? I mean, do, is it black and white? Is it nuanced? Yeah. Where are you at? No, it's black and white. What the like? What are they doing right now? They're just digging their hole deeper and deeper. And um, the fact that he's doubling down on this shit, like and comparing it to, to you know, Kaepernick's uh, pro kneeling of the during the anthem is just bullshit. That was about standing up for rights. This is literally about not recognizing rights. Um, they're completely not only incongruous, but like diametrically opposing things that are underlying the motivation here. And I, it, I just find from a strategic comms perspective, always very interesting when these very you know moneyed organizations with lots of resources um, are 
consistently doing the wrong thing uh, mm. when it comes to trying to manage the media and press on this. And, it, you know, if they were given a heads up, why wasn't the media given a heads up that this was going to happen? Like everybody seemed to be taking a little bit of back uh, from it. Right. Yeah. And the, like, the earliest tweets from from some of the journalists were like, if what I'm hearing is true, Ivan Provorov yeah. will not be taking warm ups. And that was like 10 minutes before the warm ups. Can you it, imagine the group text of the people coming from hockey ops to PR for the Flyers? And it would be like Provy's not taking warm up. And someone would be like there would be like the question mark in response. And then the other person would do like the shrug emoji. And then <laughs> and, but then they but then it would get serious. And it, they would realize very quickly that what did happen was going to happen, which was this becoming an international news story and largely overshadowing the whole point of, the, of Pride Night. But I do find a silver lining. That is that it's forcing all of us to reconcile how we feel about it and actually have meaningful conversations about what inclusion looks like and when you should be forced to get on board with something and, and, and when you should not. Like, was Ivan Provorov a bad teammate for not warming up with his or or yes or I mean I do think that it is the answer is yes but also I mean is there room in in your mind to consider the idea of his strong religious conviction and opting out and and how that applies to I mean this is a workplace it's a workplace yeah I mean I don't know if like claiming religion as a reason to be not inclusive or to not recognize something is a good valid reason. Um, and this is where I think, you know, you can, if you wanted to sit out, you can sit out, but then you bench him um, for sit for sitting out. Uh, and the fact that they didn't do that and the fact that, you know, they, they had no consequences whatsoever, um, I think is more of a signal to what is important to that organization um, and it's not the LGBTQ community. And like, let's, you know, call it for what it is right now, um, both in Canada and in the States, like the LGBTQ community, particularly that T, you know, the trans community um, is under attack. And the fact that w everyone who, you know, claims to be a, an ally or just a decent fucking person um, needs to be standing with them right now. Uh, you know, it's it's incredibly terrifying seeing what's happening, uh, it, you know, particularly in the States, but that's because they have more access to guns. So, right, the propensity to the probability of violence there is probably a little bit higher than it is here, obviously, in, in that respect. But like, it's still scary um, seeing bigots come out in droves just to protest things like drag story time. Um, and I don't think that's going away anytime soon. And when you are choosing to equivocate here, um, as we saw in that clip, it, it gives a license for people to be to be more hateful. Well, one of the one of the reasons why I think that, that Tortorella has got to touch on the, the American flag and Colin Kaepernick is because he is in a situation that it's incongruous. Like he said he is on the record. Yeah. You know what? Was it three years ago? Whatever it was, four or five years ago, saying like he would bench players. He would sit them mm -hmm. if they demonstrated or protested during the singing of the Star Spangled Banner. So he has taken a position that is different from this one. And so yeah, I do, what, I, what's what's different between Colin Kaepernick and this guy? Do you, can you tell me? I can't. I don't know. Between Kaepernick and Provorov? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I think Kaepernick's on the right side and Provorov's on the wrong one. I mean, that. Yeah. That, well, yeah no. That, yes. That's the I biggest was being difference. Facetious. I was being facetious. Oh, in pardon that. me. Pardon I, me. Yes, well, I'm yes. glad I came up with a good answer. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, do you care about Jagmeet Singh's watch? Do you care about Justin Trudeau's watch at all? Yeah, although, you know, if we're being honest, uh, both of those men wear timepieces. They don't wear watches. Oh, school me. 
What does that mean? Yeah. How do you know? Is it once it's more no, than no, it's once it's like more a, than a thousand dollars, it's a timepiece? I think so. Yeah, I think that's the cutoff. Yeah, I would say fifteen hundred, maybe. But yeah. yeah, that is. It's like it's like guys that call cigars sticks. It's like they do. <laughs> they, they call their watches pieces, don't they? Check out this yeah. piece. Yeah, but but is it okay for Jack Meet Singh to be talking about? Like, I'm going to be honest. I don't I don't have a problem with the watch. I've never voted federal NDP and, and whatever. I wouldn't vote for Jack Meet Singh. That's fine. But but I I like him as a guy. He seems to be kind of actually a captivating and somewhat cool dude. Um, he. He's he's the the face of the party. Uh, obviously, you want to see some some synergy with how someone conducts himself. I think if he was driving around in a Benz Maybach, it would probably look bad. Um, mm-hmm. But but at the same time, like I've always sort of thought, devil's advocate. M- maybe someone gifted him the watch. Maybe uh, maybe he saved up for ten years to buy the watch. Maybe it's a knockoff. Like, is he still allowed to talk about eradicating poverty if he's wearing a twenty thousand dollar watch? Was it twenty thousand dollars? No, I don't watch? know how much it is. I'm oh, just okay. arbitrary. Like watches. What a nice watch is. Yeah. Uh, last night I was talking to my buddy. He's shopping for a Breitling. I said, "What's a Breitling go for?" He goes, "Yeah, you can get a nice one for like six G's." I know yeah. that the Rolex watches are like fifteen, twenty. A lot of people are buying Rolexes. So they say the prime ministers. Mo Amir pointed this out in a fun tweet this morning. The PM's watch, an IWC Portuguese regulature, apparently is about fifteen grand. Justin Trudeau's watch. I mean, look, I'd like nice watches. I, I particularly like nice watches on men. Um, oh, and really? so I'm yeah, I'm pro okay. watch, man. Uh, I don't know. I like to, and to your point, why can't you hold? Why can't you care about two things? Why can't dude, you know, want to look good? Um, and then at the same time, also care about eradicating poverty. It's a very silly kind of gotcha. I mean, I, I get that we're in a very silly timeline and social media tends to bring out said silliness. But um, I, I don't know. It just seems like the wrong sort of thing to focus on. But clearly his team took it to heart because in another video that was posted after a lot of the criticism about the watch, right? He stopped wearing, he's not wearing it. So somebody was listening. Yeah, I I, yeah, I don't know. I do think you can care about two things at once. I saw I saw somebody tweeting that, uh, you know, maybe Jack Meat Singh should donate it, you know, sell his watch and donate the money to the food oh, bank. Oh, and I'm just no. like, okay. <laughs> out of here okay right. let the guy have a watch he also wears nice suits okay yeah like, yeah like he's the face of the party his like, wife's what, in fashion like what do you what do you what's he supposed to, you want to show up in like tattered burlap he's like yeah. showing up to the house of commons in old coffee bags like is that what people are looking for <laughs> you know he's got yeah. like the Connor mcdavid socks on with like sandals that he's been wearing for 30 years he does say jugmeet saying that the liberals better approve a national pharmacare plan this year, he says that'd be a deal breaker if it's not done. And we all know what happens to Justin Trudeau's minority government without NDP support. What are you making of the story? You've got for people listening on the podcast, you got a bit of a demure smirk on your face. right? I now. do. And I did. I think I did an eye roll there. Uh, <laughs> that was visceral. I didn't even. T- it was an automatic reaction. Yeah, look, I think he needs to shit a off the pot. Like, I get what he's saying here in terms of, um, you know, and it was one of their main uh, asks, if you will, from uh, from this deal. Uh, but he seems to, in recent, I don't know, weeks, I guess, uh, have upped the sort of rhetoric about calling out the government. I mean, he recently said that the government, the liberal government, was like uh, waging a full-fledged attack on like working class people. And it's like, well, if you actually believe that, then you know, I, I don't know. And then you probably shouldn't be in bed with them trying to get stuff passed. But then, of course, you you do have to take into consideration this is partisan politics and so much of it is theater. And so I, I think this is more theater. Um, I, I would be very curious uh, to see, you know, what progress is made, because I think pharmacare is important. Right. I think it's kind of silly to say that we have like a, a like a 
publicly accessible or universally accessible healthcare system that doesn't include uh, drugs and dental and, and vision. Um, but you know, I I, 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 I I guess I wait with bated breath to see what Jagmeet Singh actually does um, because you need the, the provinces to play ball. I was just going to um, say. If, if you're going to get the pharmacare stuff. So it's yeah. not all on the federal government, right? Yeah. And like, I'll, I'll give you an example. I mean, well, for you know, we have Jason Kenney on the record. Obviously, he's not the premier anymore. But yeah. so, you know, I'll look forward to hearing what uh, Daniel Smith has to say about this. But Jason Kenney wanted nothing to do with the national pharmacare plan. So it can't be assumed that it's going to pass and be a grand success. It would be a to state the obvious, a huge deal for millions of Canadians. I mean, it'd be a really big deal and it'd be very expensive, too. It would. It would. Um, but it would be a very big deal. And I think for folks that do have drug coverage through work, they tend to forget that. Right. Mm. That if you don't have any coverage, um, it can be absolutely uh, bank account draining um, to pay for your drugs. I hear some people talk. I mean, you know, I saw I saw one lady tweeting about it. She was tweeting her gratitude. But it, I mean, it, it's like gratitude, I guess. Uh, you know, you realize, though, her husband has ALS. And she said that this this uh, prescription regiment that he's on right now would cost them half a million dollars a year, a half a million dollars a year if they were had left to pick up the tab on their own. She says, obviously, we wouldn't be able to swing that. I mean, who could? Maybe Ivan Provorov with the Flyers could swing at half a million a year. But anyway, it just is a perspective check for me, let alone all the people that even if it's two, three hundred bucks a month, that's a ton of dough for a lot of people. Um, yeah. How how significant is uh, Jacinda Ardern stepping down as New Zealand's prime minister? What a what a what a very uh, are you shocked? Yeah, I think everyone sort of was right. And yeah. like, look, I don't pretend to be an expert in the domestic affairs of sure. New Zealand. I don't think you do either. Right. No. Um, we get a very filtered version that get what gets put into international coverage of her. But I think she's just such a, you know, a, a, like an icon, a figurehead for uh, women everywhere. Um, I think she demonstrated, particularly after in the aftermath of the Christchurch attack, um, what real empathetic leadership sort of looks like. And it was a nice stark contrast to the bullshit response our country had to the uh, mosque attack in Quebec City. So that, that really stuck with me. And I think something that we can't really um, separate is the fact that, you know, um, the Ardern got a lot of sexist abuse thrown her way and she was subject to a lot of, you know, bullshit misogyny. And um, she hasn't said this herself. And so I'll put the same equivocation that uh, Michelle Rumpel-Garner put in her Substack piece on this. Um, I'm hesitant to put that as like a reason, much in the same way Michelle was. Yeah. But I, I don't think you can separate the two. And before people start going, well, men get it too. Yes, of course, men get it too. I'm not discounting that men get it too. Um, Trudeau and Mr. Singh probably get a lot of shit thrown their way, right? Um, but you, the the shit that women get online, right, is qualitatively different. Um, and you know, my my old co-host Matt Gurney used to point that point this out all the time. And when I left, he um, pointed this out quite quite you know forcefully. Um, is that when he would get hate mail, it would be like Gurney, you suck. Mm -hmm. And when I would get hate mail, it's like you know, fuck you, you dirty packy cunt. You need a good raping to be put in your place, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna come in your mouth, right? Like those are two very different fucking pieces of hate mail yeah. um, and they and they affect you differently. Um, yeah. And so I think that's the sort of thing that we uh, you know need to recognize. And, you know, people don't have to take my word for it. Um, there's a paper out by uh, Heidi Torek and Kristen of at uh, UBC, and they looked at online instability that was directed at political candidates in, in 2019. And it's uh, it's it's an interesting read um, to see what they what they found.
Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that, you Sorry, know, that was a pe- lot. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate it. I'm just like, let it flow. You know, I mean, you're speaking truth. And uh, I, I just uh, it's bad faith. It's a bad faith argument like that men get it, too. Sure. I mean, I've, I've had my fair share of abuse and, and we're like, you know, relatively small fish. I mean, you know, you're, you're going to look at like the real public figures. We're talking about global leaders here. I mean, obviously, yeah, there's a lot directed at, the, at, at Trudeau, for example. I mean, there's there's a whole market in Canada. Like, I, I'd be curious to see what so, annual revenue would be on fuck Trudeau bumper stickers, like a lot. You know, they, they hang him in effigy. They burn like, yeah, 100%. Like RCMP and CSIS, I'm sure, have investigated. I mean, they laid charges after the, the you know, the Ottawa occupation related to threats of violence against the prime minister. They've had the proper compromise they've had like yes it does happen but it's not even close it's not even close and anybody that argues that it is uh i almost don't have time for it because it's so obviously disingenuous it's so obviously different the experience that men and women face in media in politics in the workplace um and, and whatever here i am a man explaining the women, women's <laughs> experience in the workplace <laughs> but i'm just like, saying e- like i think that men need to have a voice in the conversation as well uh to other men that are arguing that dudes get it too because it's not the same and you know it yeah and look um again i'm going to call out michelle rumpel garner's substack on uh, post on this i mean she noted that the the shit that trudeau gets yes it's very in quantity it's a lot um, but uh, the stuff that um, Arden would get was, you know, it's a lot more sexualized, too. And, it, it, you know, we're speaking of, of Trudeau and he's actually a pretty interesting case study um, because because of the way that uh, right wingers have painted him as this like, you know, effeminate soy boy, Nancy, that just has nice hair and is pretty and no other qualities. He effectively gets treated. A lot of the shit that gets thrown at him is effectively what a. Uh, uh, a female politician would get, um, interestingly enough. And, you know, I, I talked about Mr. Singh. I, I think we need to also point out that if you're a man um, who is also brown, you're going to get a lot of racist shit, too. Right. So, yes, they do get it. Um, but it's just it's different. And if we're not going to acknowledge it's different then to your point, like, I don't even know where to how to start that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I saw that I saw that Jordan Peterson yesterday was tweeting that he was thrilled to see uh, Prime Minister Arden st- st- sit down and uh, stand down or whatever. What's what am I trying to say? Step away, step down, whatever. Step down. What, thank Resign. You, thank you for like the, the I, I need basic English help every once in a while. Anyway, <laughs> Jordan Peterson says one down, one to go. Like Trudeau must go. Uh, of course, the, the whole idea around Jordan Peterson, College of Psychologists of Ontario, that story continues. Meantime, the College of Surgeons and Physicians of Ontario this from Ashley Stewart, who joined us on the show earlier this week. By the way, Sapria, she was talking about some of the abuse that she's faced from renegade Canadian doctors. Uh, they're peddling these COVID vaccine conspiracy theories. It was a fascinating interview. Real talkers, if you missed Ashley Stewart on the show, make sure you listen to that interview. But this is wild, hey? This this college in Ontario, the, the obviously the regulatory body for surgeons and physicians detailing threats uh, behind barring the public from their buildings. It is. And what I find the like kicker to all this or the real nugget here is the fact that the college themselves is saying um, it's the uptick in all of this is due to the proliferation of disinformation on social media. And that is being, you know, wildly spread. And like it's uh, I don't know, we're going to have to fucking figure out a way to deal with this because this is untenable. You can't have you know, people shooting up uh, the College of Physicians and, and, sh- and Surgeons. They've said they've had like the door shot at fecal matter. You know, at, you put you put up Ashley's tweet there. It, it, it has the, the gist. Yeah. Fecal um, but- matter hung on the front door of the yeah. building. Uh, buildings shot at windows broken, graphic death threats and calls for violence against staff. 
Like to paint a picture, they, and like you just reiterated, they say that disinformation is to blame. First of all, if you're at the point in your life when you're shitting in a bag, <laughs> driving it somewhere, I mean, I'm assuming you're not shitting in the well, parking lot of the building. Maybe you are. Maybe you went no, in the I building. No, I think it's the parking lot. I don't think you carry the shit with you. I, so I then, think you. So you yeah. shit in the parking lot. I get like, 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 do you wipe? Do you do you just you get maybe one of That's those like question. wet wipes so you can clean it up quick. And then maybe I guess you put you, the, maybe you wipe and put that into the bag. As you put well. that into the bag and then and then you walk up and, and, and then you hang that. If you're hanging that on the front door, if you're hanging your own steaming shit on the front door of the College of Surgeons and Physicians of Ontario, it may be time to evaluate where you are in your life. Yeah. Ask about your life choices. <laughs> just just take some take a moment of introspection and ask yourself, is this the type of person I'm proud to be? <laughs> Sapria Devetti, we love you. Have an amazing weekend. And we'll talk to you again next week. Can't wait, buddy. Have a good All weekend. All right, pal. You got it. That's Sapria Devetti. You can check her out on Twitter at Sapria Devetti, obviously, and uh, online seriouslypod.com. Any insights, John, into people shitting in bags and parking lots? Well, I mean, if you're going to go in, go all the way. Light it on fire, at least. Come on. Like, what are I mean, you doing? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. The old dog shit trick, eh? The old dog shit on the doorstop. You have to wonder if that's ever uh, contributed to, like, a serious arson type situation. Right. You know, the idea being you got to get the, you know, the the cranky old guy out at his door. He has to stomp out the fire and he gets dog shit on his, on his slippers. Mm-hmm. But you have to wonder if someone ever actually unintentionally burned a house down and had to pay the price i wonder tell us your story real talkers <laughs> please don't tell us your story coming up in just a second there's no way to segue actually there is speaking of shit on your boots uh farming and food our real talk roundtable coming up in, in just about two minutes time we're looking forward to it. these conversations do not happen without amazing sponsors like our friends at california closets i want you to check out their website californiaclosets.ca you know as the name would suggest obviously they've mastered the closet game i can tell you firsthand experience with a custom closet from california California closets is an absolute game changer, but workspaces, living areas, storage rooms, and yeah, the garage, they do it all with informed design that starts with a free consultation, nothing to lose. See how California closets can change the game for you like they did for us. Plus they're hiring. You can find jobs and apply now at californiaclosets.ca. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food want to remind you they've got a great resource on their website. It's the blog at granddog.ca. I was reading it just the other day. They've got a, a great feature on high-quality protein for dogs and cats. Don't let the name fool you. They've got quality raw food for cats, too. Uh, you got to know about protein, of course, when it comes to your pet's health and wellness and some great tips on diet, plus problem-solving. Things like, you know, old age manifesting itself in joint pain. What can you do for your beloved furry four-legged family member? Find out more today at granddog.ca. The promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first-time order delivered directly to your door. Is 2023 going to be a year of change for you? Are you going to ramp things up with regards to maybe the direction your career is taking? Or maybe your personal knowledge about a a subject that you find to be fascinating? Why not start that journey today online at AthabascaU.ca? Literally tens of thousands of Canadians across the country, and for that matter, around the world, take advantage of Athabasca University's world-class accredited online programs and courses. You talk to anybody that's been there, like Harmon Candola. He was saying the other week when he was here on the Friday Roundtable, his wife just finished her graduate degree in psychology. A huge shout out to her. She needed to take some time off. 
to be at home. The family matters. We're demanding your attention. She didn't fall behind because you learn at your own pace. You have the flexibility to develop a schedule that suits your lifestyle at Canada's Open University. That's AthabascaU.ca. And of course, you know, every Monday on the show, we focus on the positives. We find the silver linings with positive reflections presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. It's a great time to start looking into solar energy solutions to power your life. Kubi Energy is a full-service contractor for residential and commercial solar power systems. It all starts with a free quote today, and we could be talking about houses. We could be talking about warehouses. Hell, we could be talking about dairy barns. Solar panels are more versatile, reliable, and affordable now than ever before. Get your free quote today by visiting kubienergy.ca. Our guest today on the Real Talk Roundtable, this is presented by our friends at Urban Timber, know a thing or two about food. And I'm looking forward to this next half hour as we learn from three individuals that walk the walk. Two of them are actively working in farming as we speak. The other is a national reporter for food systems and the environment. It's the Farm and Food Real Talk Roundtable presented by our friends at Urban Timber. As we say hello to Jeff None from Lakeside Dairy, uh, Steel Parrot uh, from Parrot Farms and Lakeside Dairy, and Mark Fawcett-Atkinson, who, as mentioned, is the food systems and environment reporter for Canada's National Observer based out of Vancouver, B.C. To the three of you, thanks so much for making time for us this morning. It's nice to see your faces. I want to encourage you to treat this like we're out for beers or coffees. Uh, jump in on each other. Let's have a candid conversation about the state of food, farming, agriculture, supply and demand, maybe supply management today. Uh, Jeff, you reached out to the show. You've always been a great friend of the show after we had Sylvain Charlebois on just a couple of days ago. And your text to me, I don't think you'll mind me sharing with the audience, just said, Sylvain, Really? What problem did you have with the food professor? Uh, well, Sylvain is Sylvain. He's been around for, you know, kind of building his name and, and uh, the go-to. I mean, the, the article that you guys referenced, he's he's the main media go-to person to speak on behalf of, of food, which I don't have so much of a problem with, but it doesn't take a lot of, uh, you know, a long time of listening to what he has to say to hear a lot of misdirection and, um you know, maybe maybe just trying to keep the message simple and, and not dig into what happens at the producer level, um, despite his kind of affinity to take jabs at it uh, without without anyone there to kind of uh, counter that message. So, yeah, not the first time I've sent that type of a message to you or somewhere else where he happens to be getting some airtime and, and a little bit of free reign. Huh. Uh, Steel, did you uh, did you have a hot take on that before? I, w- I want to ask you about affordability. I want to talk to you about food prices. And, and then, Mark, we're going to get to your take on this as well. But is there anything particular to consider a- about the message that Dr. Charlebois has and, and the platform that he has across Canada, obviously, including this show? Well, I think to start with, when he talks about farming and made it basically sound like dairy farmers are running away like bandits with all this money. Um, he has to look at the cost of production. And I mean, it doesn't take a very deep look to see that the cost of production has gone up roughly 50% for the dairy farmers. So 11% increase on your product to sell and your cost of production has gone up 50% actually isn't a very good ratio. 
Steele, you've written, uh, contributed to the Western producer, um, including this piece at producer.com. Uh, people can can read it. I was taking a look earlier today. You you had your your uh, focus on sort of the cash crunch and some of the barriers that that farmers are facing. This one here, asset poor farmers face cash hurdles. This was Jeremy Sines' uh, follow up to your feature. Again, people can find it all. It's it's been good reporting and and, and solid uh, conversation, putting issues in front of Canadians for consideration. When we talk about the costs of production, for example, what is the average Canadian and probably not realize about what it takes to do business and feed the country? Oh, I, I think there's probably a lot that they don't realize. I think the biggest thing and what that article refers to, though, is more about how farming is basically run by the same generational farms and new people who try and get in are facing a lot of hurdles, right? Mostly on the financial side of it. Whereas established farms that have lots of equity behind them get far better interest rates, far better loans, a lot more free will as far as what they can financially do. Whereas anyone trying to start out in the industry is really handcuffed by uh, the industry itself. So as much as FCC loves to talk about, you know, starting new farmers and all this help they're giving them, really the only help they're giving them is trying to buy land and buying land is not a helpful thing for a young farmer, mostly because buying land is not even a good investment for a farm. It's a great investment for a farm owner, but as far as the cash structure of a farm, it takes a lot of other land to pay for one piece of land. So as far as starting out, trying to grow a business, your first thing that you're going to be buying, it's not going to be a piece of land. So it's not very much help. You've got, you had an interesting background, you, you a degree in civil engineering, right? And uh, you started your farm as, as a relatively uh, young guy. Was that something that you had always dreamed of doing? Yeah, so I, you know, I went to school, got a civil engineering diploma, did that for a while, um, but really missed farming. Um, so I had, you know, grown up working on a farm. He had a lot of health problems, so I really got to dive into the management of a farm at a real young age, talking like 16 years old, and basically being in charge of field operations. So. You know, really got hooked on that, and, and then uh, decided that after I did civil engineering for a while, that I wanted to try and get out there and start a farm and it looked like something that was possible and then as i started to get into it and you farm kind of like you've been taught to farm and you do this you also realize the economics of this are totally bizarre and aren't really possible and it really shows that farmers are farming the equity that they have previously to create cash flow so i had to come up with uh you know some new ways of farming new techniques new agronomic styles and, you know, started to put that to work and really started to get traction and grow this thing out and grew that farm, you know, from literally zero acres to 6,000 acres plus doing custom work and couldn't get the financing to keep it going when we ran into five years in a row of agricultural disasters and could prove to banks and whatnot that we were losing less money than the neighbor, but didn't have the equity to back it up. So, you know, I had to shut that down and then was lucky enough to run into Jeff and him being forward thinking and seeing what I was doing, you know, he was on board with that and, you know, been able to come here. And then this has really created a whole new set of opportunities because Jeff doesn't operate with crop insurance, which just opens up the world to a grain farmer. So now I can do all the things that I really wanted to be doing, but was handcuffed because I had a crop insurance to have any sort of funding from anyone. And, you know, now we're, you know, we're pushing the envelope. We're figuring out new ways to do things, trying to figure out how to create cash flow and create profits, even when the weather's against you. And, you know, I think we have the results behind us to show that it can be done. 
But yet when you go and look and talk to neighbors and whatnot, you know, they're not interested in doing something different. And that rolls right into the, the carbon tax stuff right now. We have farmers who are really angry about carbon tax and yet that could be the biggest opportunity for agricultural for sure in my generation as far as it's a whole new market that we could be a part of and yet all we're doing is fighting it and being angry about it and i sure hope that our lobbyists are not really listening to what farmers are saying and are out there looking for the best deal and not just trying to get us exempt from a carbon tax okay listen i'm scribbling notes as you're talking and we've got a ton to address operating without crop insurance the carbon tax is an opportunity that's going to be the headline that's going to be the headline when we post this stuff but i haven't even said hello to mark yet and so mark i want to loop you in you come at this from a different angle you're a national reporter uh, following food systems when you take a look i mean we're talking about grocery prices we're talking about supply chain issues over the past couple of years obviously we're hearing guys that are literally the boots on the ground here talk about the challenges that farmers are facing what's your assessment of the health of canada's food system right now oh god it's a big question yeah um i i I think it's and COVID to some degree showed there's there is a certain resilience to it you know we we still had food through all of this um I definitely think there's a need. There's a need to increase that, particularly in light of climate change. Um, we're increase, you know, we're we're still very reliant on, on the states um, and inter- like imports, um, which particularly for on the produce side, you know, the there just isn't the water to sustain that. So we need to figure out some way to 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 bring that home, um, and then kind of in 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 the broader sensed you know i i think we've we've designed a system that's on the agricultural side um with the exception of supply managed crops like dairy like eggs like poultry um a system that's really geared towards export primarily um instead of focused more on how do we meet domestic needs across the board of the types of food that we need um so i think we need we we need a shift there and then also just like looking at efficiencies system wide so if you look at food waste um we waste around half the food that we have in canada Hmm. um and that comes from everywhere some of that you know a little bit of that actually is from the farm um some of it's kind of in the processing some of it's in the transport some of it's in the restaurants some of it's in the groceries some of it's like people having leftover food in the back of their fridge um so that's kind of a huge area that if we can kind of make that change significantly more efficient um you know just there we we're we're gaining a lot a lot of food that we're wasting right Mm. now um and saving also kind of on the climate side and the environmental side you know we're we're using less less resources we're emitting less um both in terms of the production side of that food and the when it goes into landfill if it's not composted essentially it'll become methane and kind of contribute to to our methane problem um and then there's also an issue in terms of of ownership of who's who who has the the, the market power in, in in the food system to control both food prices and prices that producers are getting paid um because yeah i'm you know i i do talk to farmers quite often and the message that comes up a lot is you know we're pinched and there there's so much power in the grocers and kind of in those those intermediary suppliers that that's quite a consolidated area there's producers have very little leeway Hmm. um, to push against that and like i'm a big fan of supply management because it gives more negotiation negotiating power 
um, in in that aspect. Right? Oh, I was I was hoping we were going to have a big fight here between the journalist and the dairy farmer. No, no, no. So, no I'm not. I, I, everyone's yeah, on I, the I, same page. Everybody has his thoughts on on, on <laughs> supply management. I I can't say I agree with them. <laughs> well, hey, listen. Let's circle back on supply management. We can. I also want to certainly include our audience. who have got such an engaged audience, and they are they're on the edge of their seats for this conversation. Like Ma Ma says that uh, says uh, they, I come from a farming background. The only rich farmer I ever knew was a dead farmer, uh, and the money came when when everything was sold. Um, Jeff, I'm, I'm curious to pick your brain. If, if you want to respond to that, please do. But do you agree with Steele? I, I, you don't hear. It's not been a common theme that farmers on the prairies are seeing the carbon tax as an opportunity. Let's go down that avenue. Do you agree with Steele? You know what? Uh, there's a reason I suggest he comes on the show, right? Um, we work well together uh, as we're as we're kind of as I'm feeling my comfort zone. So I think generally there's a little bit of a background in agriculture where that thought process is there. You're seeing dairy farmers of Canada come out with, you know, net zero by 2050, which is great. And the statement is put out there. Um, the pressure is coming in, in a lot of these aspects on, you know, the little bit more tighter run groups. So not even in supply management in the horticultural side, same messaging. And that really piques my interest because we have no idea and no roadmap for how we're actually going to do that. So when steel comes to the, to the table and, and has these ideas and some practical things that work and, and, you know, I can measure that up against what my agronomist that I've worked with for, you know, almost two decades is saying, and, and even see the shift in his mindset as he's digging into some conversations and researching, you know, what Steele's trying to achieve out here. And, and, and we're not talking, um, you know, he stepped into this operation and is using the same equipment in the same land and we're growing the same, crops we're just doing it in a different way and kind of combining things differently so it's not um it's not like a whole retooling of the farm but it is extremely significant in the thought process um i yeah i think it's good to poke that bear and, and have have uh farmers maybe get a little bit uncomfortable in their chairs and and consider that carbon is an opportunity you see it in the beef industry they talk about their regenerative program in the grasslands and try to get that message across the challenges from a management standpoint is that um, there's a lot of competing voices on that, right? So the message gets across and you and you tell your story and there's and you can scientifically back it up, but there's quickly maybe some unfounded uh, you know presentations or half truths out there similar to what Salve kind of preaches that undermine that forward thinking and that workload and that's what really frustrates me about the interviews and the things that he does, whether it's how he talks about pricing or just not really not really trying to move everything forward in a positive way. Spell spell it out for me, like for the average person that's not on the farm, like assume nothing. Spell it out like you're talking to a class of of grade sixers. What is he saying about pricing and the cost at the grocery store that is inaccurate or misleading? Uh, where the pricing comes from. So he's quick to defend the retailer and say, listen, their costs have gone up and therefore it's justifiable but we know that their reporting tells us that they're making record profits that's not true across the spectrum of all the agricultural sectors and he likes to pick on dairy and and the animal agriculture sector he's you know maybe a little bit less to say about beef because it's free enterprising but when steel comments like I sent you a few graphs and and just what we're up against through COVID and and with the war in the Ukraine and uncertainty and and the global warming, ironically, uh, or the shift in climate that's causing you know even right now droughts in the mid plains of the U.S. are still there. They've they've backed off a bit, but 
you're seeing grain prices. So your wheat, canola, soybeans, uh, barley prices have all been somewhere between 80 to 120% increase since 2020. And that movement into, you know, that bottom line for us is immediate as a dairy farm. And, and as Steele pointed out, we had an 11% increase, like it did not cover our cost of production. And that's just on the feed side of things. At the same time, we're, we are seeing increased carbon tax. We are seeing other increased costs all around all of it. Um, well, I see, and then, sorry. The, and, and the way it rolls out. So there is some lack of transparency on that, on that retail end and retail does what they do. So I remember last year when we, when we announced the increase, it was announced in September of 2020, uh, 2021. And it kind of didn't hit the radar because dairy announces, does their cost study and then announces that that increase is coming. The increase actually hits in February, but the retailers decided to move the price up immediately on that news. And then it's just this confusion and conflation. When Sylvain talks about I guess let's stick to dairy specifically. He's right. The Canadian Dairy Commission is a very confusing mechanism. Um, it's not confusing how we how we get our price increases on the dairy farm. So the, the price increases on the dairy farm come from our cost of production increase. 50% of, of the adjustment comes from standardized studies done at every provincial level on what our cost of production does in that calendar year. And the other 50% is based on the consumer price index, which has nothing to do with uh, with uh, with dairy and just a marketplace. So it's not it's not arbitrary, is what you're saying. You're not deciding that you want to take you know your kids to Disneyland, and so you're cranking up your prices fifteen percent. It is so mechanical. It's back of the napkin math, and it's surprising when he tries to conflate it as anything else. And maybe he's a little bit confused because when we talk about how we sell our milk to processors, he's absolutely correct. It, it is bizarre. It makes no sense. The gap in pricing that we receive from a processor based on the product that they are making blows my mind. And, and, you know, I guess my insight on that as a dairy farmer is that I also run a processing plant. And often if I want to know how much I'm going to get charged for milk, if I want to make butter, the easiest way for me to figure that out is to make some butter, report it and see what the CDC decides to charge me for that milk. Huh. Steel, before like I don't want to move on from the, this carbon taxes opportunity thing, because I think that this is, is really interesting. It's really fascinating. But what would you say to the to the, the, the cynical farmer that's been doing it their way for 40 years? And, uh, you know, you guys are out there having a coffee and, and he says, I heard you on Real Talk or I, I heard the scuttle. What the hell are you talking about? This is an opportunity. He's going to say my costs are up and he's going to show you his bill, his utility bill for the farm for the month. And he's going to say, you tell me how this is opportunity. What would you say to him? I would say to start thinking differently. Too many farmers out there are still playing checkers and farming is a game of chess. I think when you look at bills, I think this is this last year was a perfect example. Um, the definition of no-till in Alberta is basically an amount of tillage, whereas you can literally go to no-till other than seeding. So everywhere you drive this fall, you'd see people out harrowing and dust blowing away before you could ever see the tractor and they're burning fuel. They're letting their carbon blow away, all these things. And we can prove that you don't need to do that. So to start with, I would say, let's start looking at your operation and let's start cutting some costs and using agronomics to help us do that. The next thing I would say is why wouldn't we want to be a part of the newest market out there and something that we're going to have to deal with no matter what. So let's not complain about it. Let's get some rules out there so everyone knows what you need to do, which is really what we're lacking right now. 
There's no, there is nothing out there to say how we can be a part of the carbon market at the Canadian level. We can be a part of the carbon market at the voluntary level, but the voluntary level really, I don't know, it's undervalued and the research behind it sometimes is a little bit iffy. There's a lot of backlash around it. There's some sketchy projects out there. So really what we want to be a part of is the Canadian carbon tax market, put out some rules out there and then let farmers innovate, figure out ways to do it. And let's be a part of it so we can actually create value from it instead of just complaining and trying to avoid a small tax instead of being a part of this huge economy and market. Mm. So you have, you have two schools of thought, Ryan, on that. And, and what Steele's suggesting is an actual measurement-based program. So we, we want to measure the results. And historically in agriculture, what we've done is, um, you know, it's just simpler for the government to adopt and say, if you sign here and say that you own zero-till equipment and you and you use this process, then we're going to give you some carbon credits. That was the first kick at the can. And it was a good movement because it reduced tillage and it had farmers starting to move that direction. But it wasn't accurate because it was based on, you know, a massive aggregate pile and, and the reliance of if you do something a certain way, you'll get a result, not actually measuring what that result was. Um, this is uh, I, sh- I want to give a shout out as well to our, our great friends at Edify, uh, a feature just about a year ago, about 13 months ago on the two of you uh, reads the headline, the new normal from flooded fields to devastating droughts. The only thing Alberta farmers can predict is the unpredictable climate. It's a great feature on some of the innovation happening on the farm. People can read it. It's from the December 2021 uh, edition the the uh, issue of Edify Edmonton at edifyedmonton.com Mark I would love to pick your brain on this like when we talk about climate when we talk about climate action we're talking about the carbon tax obviously there's there's been a lot of I think uh disdain for i mean it's i hear it loudly from producers around the prime minister's what's being described as a fertilizer ban i've seen yeah. the assertion this week that the the, the the federal incentive to cut fertilizer use by about 30 percent has not been based argue some producers has not been based on appropriate science they're arguing that it's somewhat arbitrary what are some of the storylines in the context of climate i mean you're an environment reporter as well um what are you noticing about the the, the state of programs the progress steel talks about innovation what are some of the stories you're keeping an eye on in this context? I, I definitely think there's, and honestly, it's been really cool to hear about what the two of you are doing. Um, and I, I'd be curious to talk talk a bit more later. You should. Um, because, yeah, no, there's there's a lot. I, I've noticed kind of at, to some degree at the grassroots level, there's a lot of, of similar initiatives. You know, a lot of farmers kind of trying to rethink how they're, how they're approaching things. Um, there's kind of a growing both on the technological side and kind of there, there's some political interest towards, you know, carbon markets and the technology is starting to become much more possible to actually monitor this, you know, what's in the soil because each field is going to be different and what you can sequester in each field is going to be different and how that, how the ownership structure and how that carbon is, how you essentially guarantee that carbon staying there um, is going to need to be kind of tailored to, to each farm, right? Um, so I don't know. I, I I think kind of to some degree there's a there's an under the radar kind of grassroots push to shift at least among some farmers, and there are particularly on both the federal and the provincial side. Um, you know there there are programs out there to to help that. Um, one theme that I've noticed, and this comes up a lot with the fertilizer, you know the the so called fertilizer ban, which is not a a ban. It was you know proposed as a voluntary reduction. Um, is there's a lot of misinformation 
um, swirling. It's like I did a story about that actually. Um, and you, it, you can you can kind of trace on social media the moment when you know they're in early you know in, in early 2020 the federal government or 2021 the federal government announced that they were going to you know start crafting this program and no one talked about it until July. Um, when it got picked up by some right-wing conspiracy theorists and just blew up on social media, and then it became an issue, right? Um, so I, I, it's been interesting to kind of track how these sustainability initiatives that initially don't necessarily have a ton of resistance um, will have, you know, they, they kind of out of nowhere, they can hit a bit of a, a wall and trying to, you know, it's, it's been, yeah, I, it, it's it's a challenge that kind of exceeds simply the economics. It's, it's also, a, you know, a political and a, to some degree, a storytelling challenge, right? Mm. Um, Jeff, is best. Sorry to step on your toes, Mark. Jeff, yeah. how has, how is, I mean, one thing I've known about you and, and I feel like I didn't necessarily do justice. I, I did a quick intro cause I wanted to get to the three of you and start the conversation. But, but you know, one of the things that Jeff, you and I have been friends, I guess for about 10 years now, and, and I, you've told me stories about how you're, you know, you, you, you were using innovation, like grinding up drywall off cuts and using those to fertilize crops. If I remember correctly. And I know that this has been innovation has been has been driving you like you actually made a name. You have made a name for yourself in in your neck of the woods as someone who's not afraid to try new things um, with regards to this this voluntary fertilizer reduction and that whole story and the bigger picture of of sustainability. Now, what are some of the tangible things? What are some of the really cool things that you've been doing on your farm? And, and by the way, how has the forgive me, Mark, the quote unquote fertilizer ban? How is it impacting you, if at all? So on our farm, Steele will be able to speak to this a little bit more because he has to design and figure out where and how to use the fertilizer. I think it's important the timing and, and what you do and what your goals are. So um, overall, I you know we we fertilize to get the biggest possible crop, and that's why we use as much nitrogen as we do. And and realistically, in dryland farming, or even with a, a good friend of mine that's extremely intense down in irrigation, growing uh, you know a high value crop like potatoes, he's shifted to a hundred percent away from front loading nitrogen and uses petiole testing and um, putting putting nitrogen on through the pivot as the crop needs it and shutting it off. So that's going to continue to have to be in the forefront. Uh, if we're overall going to grow a smaller crop, I don't necessarily see that that, you know, there's no way out of that, but I also don't see that as being um, as big of a economic impact on the farm as, as some people think that it is. And that goes back to steel, shifting the mindset to how do you most efficiently grow the crop with the profitability profitability line in, in, in mind rather than the gross dollars that you can generate. And that bumps up, you know, maybe a little bit against land values and return on some of that, uh, that asset. So it's complicated. Uh, globally, I think we have to be very careful in agriculture, setting us up against the US if they don't have similar policies, and then we're set to compete head to head against them. What that looks like can be um, a little bit messy on the government side. But overall, I, you know, I think that if that's the direction we have to go, then you look at the opportunities in it. Okay, I'm going to ask Steele about fertilizer in just a second. But Jeff, let me ask you, uh, I remember, you know, back in my days as a TV news reporter, I remember heading out with the camera and talking to a fella who's basically, I mean, a hailstorm rolled through and demolished his uh, canola. It was quite a sight to see the power of nature. And I'll never forget him saying to me, he, he was telling me, explaining to me how some of his crops were insured and some of them weren't. Uh, and he said to me, he looked at me and, and it was at the 
clip that we used in promoting the story that night on the news at six. He said this was a two million dollar storm. And it just kind of painted a picture for the average city slicker that has no idea about these types of things. You roll without crop insurance. Is is that just I mean, you just like living on the edge or are insurance premiums just got to the point where they're unaffordable? What's the logic and, and how does that translate into the bigger strategy of how you farm? I guess, first of all, the fortunate location of the farm and and the really infrequent, you know, okay. severity of, of hail. So for me, looking at it as I never really was able to have a crop failure and go, yeah, that actually protected me. I did buy crop insurance when I got into potatoes in the early 2000s. And, you know, we went through that drought year and I thought, good, I'm glad I have crop insurance and get to the end of the year. And it's like, oh, I get zero dollars for that crop insurance. Ah. So, uh over the span of my 20 plus years farming, I, I certainly would say that I'm not behind because of it. Um, having said that, the last few years of really extreme weather, uh, 2021 in particular, was devastating to not have crop insurance from the amount of heat, some marketing you know, missteps that we've never seen before as far as that that June 40 degree weather that just absolutely shriveled up crops. So nervous about it for sure because the what what the risks are have changed hail hail and and a little bit uh short of rainfall seems to be um you know that that risk parameter is still there but the extreme heat and the length of time without any rain uh has me sitting a little bit on the edge of my seat as far as not having that crop insurance and when you talk about subsidies in agriculture you know half of the half of the bill for crop insurance is covered by the government generally speaking so it is a subsidized program for grain farmers as well um it just doesn't seem to pencil out on the farm and then it does lead to opportunities like steel set on you know they won't insure us for growing peas and canola together because they have no baseline for what that should look like so it's really not even an option and as we go down that path and um, you know, that's, that's, that's where we're at steel. I've only known you for, for 30 minutes. Uh, but I, I think it's safe to say you've established yourself as a, as a reasonable informed optimist. Um, you are in charge. You're Jeff's grain guy. Uh, so in the context of, you know, the, the bigger conversation about climate and farming sustainability and, and, and obviously farmers, care about climate change because we've just heard from Jeff how it manifests itself and some of the problems it can create. How do you approach fertilizing crops? It's also your job to get the most yield possible. So how are you approaching this uh, in ways that those of us that don't farm can understand? Well, I think to start with, if you're running a farm as a business, your goal isn't the highest yield possible. It's the highest net profit. Okay. So that's the first place to look. But I think the other thing is the number one driver of yield in the world is water not fertilizer. So if we want to have more sustainable yields year over year, then we need to do better with the water that we get and we don't get to control that. And the amount of water you get drives how much fertilizer is profitable to use and how much yield you can attain. So I think we need to start looking at our fertilizer programs uh, differently. And it's definitely something we're doing. Um, You know, we're still in an area that farms and puts out a lot of their fertility in the fall before they have any idea of what that next year is going to do. And that's not a very good way of managing your fertilizer dollars. It's not a very good way of managing the risk on your farm. And it's not very good for the environment. So, you know, I think there's some basics out there that we can still do. And Canada is a big proponent of four R's and I get that, but one of the R's is right time. And yet uh, the right time thing, I don't think we're always hitting right on the head. 
Hmm. I want to ask the three of you in closing, we like to do this with our Friday roundtables as we wrap up our weeks, uh, is, is, is to ask you for something, a storyline, a concept, an observation to leave the audience thinking about something in this context that has to do with food and farming. Uh, Mark, as mentioned, you do great work with Canada's National Observer. I, I want to encourage people to to follow you on Twitter at Fawcett Atkinson. And of course, they can find your contact information and a link to your work in the show notes on YouTube and with the podcast. See, I'm spinning my tires to buy you about 10 seconds to think of something brilliant to say. I wanted to give a little preamble there to give you something to think about. What's one story that you're following? What's one thing that this engaged audience should be considering as they think about food and where it comes from after hearing this interview? Climate change is is definitely for, for for me that that that's, you know, looking, you know, both in terms of, you know, what are the impacts, how how are we Thinking about you know essentially like how much more unpredictable um, is is the weather going to be and what kind of impact is that going to have on on crops both here and and in the states where we're also you know bringing a lot of food in from um, and then how are farmers adapting to that essentially um, those yeah that that's big and then also disinformation is another big one that I, I definitely have my eye on. Um, around you know around food and when you disinformation i mean that's i appreciate you saying that we just had that conversation with sapria devetti about uh just the college of surgeons and physicians in ontario there people are hanging bags of shit on their door and threatening their staff with with death they actually shot out a window was shot out with, with shells like i mean it's 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 out of control and they say that this is uh, not shells you know what i'm saying but the point yeah. is they say they, they're they're like this is driven by disinformation that's impacting healthcare workers it's and it's been it's been a rampant problem it's disinformation is a problem in politics around elections i mean it's a real crisis what specifically when you say in the context of food uh, you mentioned the idea about the fertilizer ban what what's one other area maybe where you're seeing disinformation really prevalent essentially it's it's anything what i've seen is anything related to sustainability initiatives mm-hmm. is where it's really coming up um yeah, that those are, are are definitely the 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 biggest. Um and to some degree food, you know, food prices as well. We talked about that a bit at the beginning. That's a different form, I'd say, of 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 disinfo. It's it's not it's not as you know, it might be airiness, but it's not malicious in uh, quite the same way. Um yeah. But I don't you know, know check that, your sources. I wanna I will, yeah, check your sources, no kidding. And understand and understand what is a good source. We've been talking about how they need to be teaching kids this in junior high and high school. How do you recognize a good source and where should you see red flags? I wanna criticize myself as host here for a second because I'm not sure we've a hundred percent nailed down. Like if the average person listens to this round table and says I lit, but I'm not. I'm still not sure with with that that famous photo of the two thirty seven dollar chicken breasts at, at you know that the the journalist posted in Ontario or, or maybe it was Quebec. I think it was Ontario. Um, the thirty seven. Like when it all comes down to it, Jeff, the, who's getting rich? Like who is it? Like because because it, if it's not the producers and if it's not the, I mean, we've seen record profits at the grocery store, but that's not, it's not it's not that simple. Is it? I mean, people would revolt. People would lose their minds. At least one grocery chain would drop their prices and steal all the business. So, like, I just want to make sure we don't wrap this conversation before understanding who's getting rich. Yeah, where's the money going? That's across the board. Where, like, fuel prices are up. Who's who? Where's that? Where are those dollars going? Uh, in in the case of beef, it's pretty clearly the Packers and uh, and whatever's happening at retail. Um, I just got you know a list of prices that that came across. So, I guess to the agricultural side of things. 
there is, and that's the criticism. Like there is extreme wealth. Farms are handling piles of equity and a lot of wealth. The return on that investment is, um, you know, as much as that's easy to say and, and, and feeds that narrative, the return on that investment is very dangerous and very few bankers and almost zero investors will look at agriculture as an opportunity. So that's telling two very different stories when it comes to what that wealth is. But being able to pay for land and being able to pay for combines that used to be 600000 and now they're $1.2 million, that's where the dollars are going. Look at the share price of John Deere. Um, you know, you want to make money, never mind Tesla, go go into those kinds of stocks. So you have to follow it all the way through, I guess, is what I'm saying on that front. Oh, Deere and company shares are for, trading at $410 a share. You're pretty fast on the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, up, but, you know, they're they're all selling less equipment at a higher price and a higher margin. And it's not just John Deere. It is a cross and there's a lack of competition. Like it was literally this spring trying to buy a tractor every two weeks. The salesman was calling me saying, hey, if you don't make this deal now, the price is going up eight percent. And I was furious, frustrated, pissed off uh on a daily basis. It was it was bonkers. So that's what we're up against. And at the end of the day, I guess. Consumers can look at it and go look at this fancy million dollar tractor or combine or whatever this farmer's driving, but that then needs to be paid for. And that comes, uh, you know, into the into the price of food, whether it's commodity price things, which we have zero control over and the price of wheat and barley and canola is traded, you know, on exchanges in New York and Chicago and around around the world um, and how that impacts pricing, I guess. What jumped to my mind immediately is consumers that want to maybe breathe a sigh of relief and understand it a little bit better, engage with agriculture. You know, there's farms out there and there's movements out there in the summer with open farm days. And uh, honestly, this Saturday, I'm putting some time aside if people want to come out to the farm and visit and I'll tour the calf barn and have those conversations and understand everything we are doing to create some optimism in, in that we're doing our part and and reconnect so that there's a basic understanding. Oh, I love that. I love that you guys do that. We uh, let, uh, let the audience know that uh, Jeff and Coralie None own and operate uh, Lakeside Dairy we're talking about, but you can check out their operation at lakesidefarmstead.com. The cheese is phenomenal. The None beef is the best in Alberta, and I love that you're, you're more than happy to open your doors and tour people around, and there's nothing like being in a calf barn. It's the coolest, and uh, I remember our little guy, Wyatt, when he was three, we took him out to the family barns and the calves. A couple calves had just been born, and uh, it's just a really special experience for the kids. I'm blown away looking at this. This uh, I, I'm so glad that you put the John Deere uh, share price on our radar. You know that uh, in, um, what is it, like uh, February, March of 2020, it was trading at like 100 it's at 410 now uh, on average up 240 bucks over the past five years that is wild what's the coolest thing in a 1.2 million dollar combine i mean they, they pretty much drive themselves what's a really what's the coolest thing in a combine they're you know what they get the job the technology of what you can see but they do the same job they did when they were six hundred thousand. do they at least have massaging seats or like is there like is there like a pedicure thing that your your feet get done while you're while you're driving around i'd love to say they drive themselves and there's a movie screen on the left and you just kind of sit there and, and relax and enjoy the day but um it's not quite that and and if you're not paying attention the repair bill is uh is equally as impressive as the price tag. And you can't fix them yourself now, right? There's That's a big controversy. 
Well, that's actually shifted too. That's a whole nother topic. They found out that uh, maybe they don't have enough mechanics. So they're actually saying we'd, we'd prefer you to fix it yourself if you can uh, oh. at all. Do that. Yeah, it's it's a weird world. Okay, it's, it's like the airlines. They just they just don't have the staff. And sorry for any inconvenience. You're going to have to go this yourself. Steel, uh, we, we've already kept you all 15 minutes past what we asked for. I'm so grateful for it. Last word to you, something that you'd like this audience to be thinking about in the context of food and farming. I would say that... Uh, the carbon tax is an opportunity for farmers. Mm. Uh, the carbon market will be driven by the carbon tax. The higher that price goes, the more value that can be created at the farm level from those offset credits. Um, but for that to happen, we need to have a framework in place so we know how to operate. And right now, that's just not happening. And I think uh, mostly what's holding that up is the farm lobby groups because we don't quite see the opportunity that's right in front of us and we're more worried about some small cost getting added on instead of uh the big opportunity that's on the other side and man i just i hope we don't uh, miss this opportunity because i think it could be really great for the industry and really turn this profitability problem that we're seeing without really having to drive food prices higher the three of you took some some pretty high level stuff. We could have been inside baseball, but you made it accessible and understandable to a civilian audience, which I'm so grateful for. Uh, that was Steel uh, Steel Parrot and uh, Jeff None, both uh, checking in from Lakeside Dairy. You can check out LakesideFarmstead.com, and of course, it's great to have uh, as well Mark Fawcett Atkinson making his Real Talk debut. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, and of course, read his great work at uh, NationalObserver.com. That's Canada's National Observer. To the three of you, thanks for what you do, informing us, feeding us, and have a great weekend. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. You bet. That was fantastic. It was fantastic. What is, what's one thing you took away from well, that? Well, the steel right at the end there. Because, you know, people are always complaining that, you know, carbon tax is, is hurting farmers. And he says they can utilize it and it can help them. It just has to be done in the right way. So People I, don't I like change, that. right? No. And people don't like added cost, to state the obvious. And so you get that pushback, but I've never, I've really never heard somebody that works in ag, like you want to question his credentials, really? Yeah. Right? That works in ag say, what are you guys bitching about? There's a huge opportunity here. Yeah, for credits. Fantastic. That, that's a clip. That's right great. there. We're done. The, the, <laughs> the Real Talk, yeah, it's going to be easy to pull the highlights yeah. this, uh, this day. Of course, you know, you can, you can always follow Real Talk across your social media platforms. We're on TikTok, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter at Real Talk RJ. That's where we push out our highlight clips. And of course, you can find everything uh, by way of our website as well. The Real Talk Roundtable is proudly presented every Friday by our great friends at Urban Timber Re- claimed wood they're the ones that did this beautiful studio table for us but i want to talk to you today about their reclaimed flooring at urbantimber.ca you can check this out everyone loves a good comeback story when your feet hit the ground every morning on your urban timber reclaimed solid wood flooring you'll wake up walking on history the wood is reclaimed from buildings, barns, warehouses that helped build our great country. Bring a piece of history home with Urban Timber's reclaimed flooring collection. You can check out the uh, portfolio. Look at some of these stunning photos. These are installations they've done. They are game changers. Of course, you can see them online at urbantimber.ca or go see them in their brand new Edmonton showroom. It's open every Saturday. I mean, there's nothing like actually seeing these masterpieces in person. They also do wood siding. They do coffee tables, all kinds of cool stuff. Again, the website is urbantimber.ca. 
At Friesen Brothers, they know that really great food is the starting point for family time around the table that, of course, everybody values. Friesen Brothers has been operating on that principle for more than 65 years. And they've got easy family meal solutions for those of you that are finding that time crunch makes putting good quality food around that dinner table tougher than ever. Find your favorite recipe, recipe inspiration with affordability and nutrition in mind by visiting them online today at Friesen.com. And if you're visiting a Friesen Brothers this weekend, my personal recommendation, the Ivan's Sausage and the Sourdough Cinnamon Buns, you will not regret your visit to Friesen Brothers. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you that they've got more than 20 years of experience with custom landscape designs. Why not bring your outdoor space to life like hundreds of families have, utilizing Mike and his team, the one-stop shop for landscape design and, of course, the build itself. Maybe you're looking at putting new lighting features in. Maybe you've been dreaming about a water feature. Hey, one of those koi ponds, Johnny. What about an outdoor kitchen? Everybody's getting into the outdoor pizza oven game. They're experts in all of this at Eden Landscaping. You can check out their portfolio and make contact with them today at landscapeedmonton.ca. And for those of you that were, of course, inspired by all the talk around cost, you know, you're tuning into these Real Talk roundtables to figure out how you can tighten up the purse strings and stretch your dollars further, go to parkpower.ca right now. Everybody uses internet. Everybody needs electricity and natural gas, but not everybody takes the two minutes to figure out how they could pay less. It takes just a second or two to compare rates, what you're paying now and what you would be paying with Park Power. And don't forget, the new bundling incentive for fans of Real Talk is simple. You use the promo code REALTALK23, that's REALTALK23, and for every service you bundle, electricity, natural gas, and internet, you'll save 50 bucks off your first bill. That's 150 bucks on the table, ready to be claimed when you take your business to the friendly local utilities provider, Park Power. I'm thinking that this might be a great weekend to hit up the Dairy Queen special. Uh, We want to remind our friends as well, the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. I threw you for a loop there, Johnny. That one was on me. I just wanted to remind everybody that as as January, you know, we're about a week away from the end of January. That means we're about a week away from the end of the buy one, get one free special at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount. That's my home location. And of course, out in Sherwood Park, the recently renovated beautiful location on Baseline Road. A six-pack of Dilly Bars or DQ Sandwiches becomes 12 when you mention Real Talk. Buy one box of these popular frozen treats and the second box is absolutely free. Woo! Didn't, uh, didn't didn't really hear any uh, any bitching from you this week, Johnny. You've been Captain Positivity. You've been uh, bringing uh, a smile and positive energy uh, to the to the studio every day this week. No, no, I no. I, people should know that 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 you, by and large, are one of the most positive and optimistic people that I've ever met, let alone Thank worked you so with. Much. Uh, did you have anything that you wanted to put out into the environment or into the atmosphere here as we get into trash talk? Is there anything grinding your gears this no, week? No, I know think you, we've talked about it all. I yeah. kind of want to forget about this week it was, there was a lot of crap going on so i just kind of want to have a good weekend i want to have some fun i'm going out i'm doing a couple big events around the Are city yeah. so i'll see you 
kids out there. Had a boy. Yeah, you can check out Johnny. What's you have a website or how do people get in touch? Of course. With you? What is it? JohnnyInfamous.com or something. I think I have it right. Where is? Yeah, it? I'm putting right, you on the spot uh, here. Yeah, but you're right going to be. Uh, yeah, look infamous at that. Entertainment. Hey, there yeah. you go. Infamousentertainment.ca. Yeah. yeah, you can check that out. I love it. Um, that Provorov thing that 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 really resonated with you. Can I get personally? That really, I, I, I it got <laughs> under your skin. I, I it really got under your skin. It's not the his his deal. Like who cares? Like if you're gonna be a homophobe, if you're gonna be you know yeah. whatever you want to do, do it. And it's better to know who those people are. But what bothers me is the buying of the jerseys and the people who chime in and the people who jump on and the people who prop these people up who are doing going against the flow of the river of change that we're trying to get to. Like, let's just get to a place where everyone can do what they want, be who they want to be. As long as you're not hurting yeah. anybody, Yeah. live how you want to do, love who you want to love. And, you know, just yeah, yeah, that was that was kind of the one that I mean, people are free to do what they want. And and a lot of times it's like we got to pick and choose what we're going to get super pissed off about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't but, like like it's not like throw the guy in jail no, or whatever. But like, no, obviously these views, we need more change so that people like him yeah. can like come to an understanding and be like, hey, maybe I shouldn't do shit like this. The one thing for me, the one thing that I was kind of like, really was the Provorov jerseys selling out like that to me is like, me. really that yeah. that that's kind of annoying. And I know that's a big win for all the people that anyway, you know who you are. You're not listening to this show anyway. <laughs> <laughs> every Friday, every well, they're hate listening. They hate listening. Oh, to the they're show. listening. Then, then they write in and let they us know what idiots we are. Sure. Yeah, yeah, what idiots they think we are. Anyway, every Friday, our friends at uh, Local Environmental Services give us an opportunity. You can check them out online, localenvironmental.ca. Uh, just wonderful friends of the show because they 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 provided a platform. They poured the foundation. The very first week that Real Talk ever ever put out a show, they said it's important for people to be able to have a little bit of fun, but say what they need to say and make sure that that message is heard. And that's why they established this tradition we call Trash Talk. Yeah, that's right. This one from Leonard. And I hope Leonard feels better after sending this in. Leonard, we hope that you weren't texting and driving while you sent us this. Leonard says, hey, you. Hey, you. Yeah, listening to the Real Talk podcast while you're driving 10 kilometers an hour below the speed limit in the passing lane. Yeah, you. Just move over. Just over to the right. Just move over. He says, check your mirror every once in a while. See me behind you and just move over. Leonard says, you can't possibly. I mean, I mean, uh, never mind. Just move over. That from Leonard. We hope that it worked, Leonard. We hope you're feeling better. How about this one from Rob, who chimes in on Preston Manning's new appointment? A citizen-led panel on government COVID response. Rob says, forgive me for my bluntness here, but this patronage appointment to lead a panel where Mr. Manning is paid approximately $250,000 is a farce. Did cabinet... Did the government actually think that this passed the smell test? I understand that Manning is and remains the golden boy for many in Alberta's conservative circles, but the stench coming off of this decision is ridiculous. Had this been the federal liberals, UCP caucus and cabinet would be incensed. He says, I greatly encourage the UCP caucus and cabinet ministers to walk this back. The old Tory pork is sometimes hard to pass up, Old Tory Pork. What a band name. I am naming my band Old Tory Pork. 
And then the album's going to be called Bring Home the Bacon. Rob says, the Tory pork sometimes hard to pass up, but we taxpayers, we've had enough. My taxes, insurance, food, energy, and everything else is going up in cost. Yet a longtime conservative bag man gets a golden handshake. Walk it back. That from Rob. And this one from Mark, who says in the mail the other day, I received a help is on the way card from the government of Alberta. Reading the card, one could get angrier and angrier uh, reading this plan the government has for basically reversing earlier healthcare decisions. Even the useless point of mailing a professionally colored card with pictures could have one ranting about the wasted cost of this type of communication. What I think we need to be focusing on is what the message and the things not said. And two things really stood out for me. Number one, attracting and training doctors and nurses and leveraging publicly funded surgeries at private clinics. Can Albertans connect the lines of attract and train to the line of reduced funding for post-secondary institutions by these same conservative governments? Becoming a nurse or a doctor requires extraordinary marks and the available spots are fewer and fewer. A lot of students have great marks, can't even get into programs, so they're moving away to other provinces or countries and we're losing them to those locations. And also, wonders Mark, do Albertans understand the implications of public funding at private facilities? Mark and I might not agree, but that's totally fine. He says it's important to mention that theme within the health department, right? Uh, Underfunding necessary infrastructure to keep up with the current rate of population and demographics was part of the long-term goal of introducing private clinics to take the strain off the public system. The result, making people wait in pain and fear for essential surgery that sadly some didn't survive to get. This is a travesty of morality where political dogma is more important than human life. The outcome appears to be we're ending up with a constant shortage of doctors and nurses that will have to start buying more health insurance to cover extra costs. The public purse will eventually pay only so much. And then what? We can deserve better health care, but there's only one solution left. What? Private clinics? Taking away from the public purse? I hope we can find a solution to the predicament we're in. Mark then leaves a personal note encouraging me to consider this as subject matter for an upcoming Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timber. You bet your bacon, buddy. We're on it. You can send us a trash talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Keep it on the rails this weekend, everybody, and we'll see you back here Monday on Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepherd. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Perry Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.